Hello, and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? I'm being eaten by voles. That doesn't sound uh, very good. It's not true. I just, I always feel the pressure to come up with something weird and cool, but I don't have anything cool because I'm not cool, so I just say something weird. But then, is it really that weird to be eaten by voles? I don't think it's all that strange. I just think it's it's bizarre. And there's a difference between weird and bizarre. I don't know what's wrong with me today. Sorry, guys. Let's do this thing. <laughs> well, today we're going to be continuing uh, our, our, well, I don't know if I would consider it weird or bizarre, but I guess the place we're going to be talking about is definitely a weird place. Uh, we're going to be continuing to talk about the raids of World of Warcraft and sort of how they slot into the greater world lore and story. And today we're going to be focusing on what was the penultimate raid of the classic era, the vanilla era. Nax Ramis. Uh, you have may have had exposure to it in later on when they Wrath of the Lich King when it came back. Um, but in its original incarnation, it was supposed to be, or at least uh, intended to be, the ultimate raid experience. Um, it was supposed to push your max level characters to their limit with various mechanics and different wings that emphasized different types of combat, different types of readiness, and drew upon everything that you experienced from your entire time throughout the rest of the, uh, I don't want to call it an expansion, the base game experience so far. Um, and it required you to get a lot of frost resist gear. A whole lot of frost resist gear. But... With the story of, of Nexramus, where where do, should we start? Honestly, um, I think you're going to start all the way back at, like, the, the thing about the Nexramus as a raid is that it tied in to places that you'd already been, um, especially if you'd done the Plaguelands and experienced the story of the Plaguelands and of Stratholm and Sholomont's, the, the two, I don't want to say raids, but they kind of were raids. Both both Stratholm and, and Sholomont's were higher level dungeons uh i'd say like at the time they would like be mid 50s well they were 10 person raids at the time weren't they same as, as same as uh upper black rock uh actually when they very first came out i'm pretty sure you could take 15 to uh yeah to, yeah yeah, to yeah you're right Stratholm. you're right you're right and stratholm was divided into two wings and the story of stratholm was basically you were going back to the place that arthas had you know began his decline uh Solomons was a little different Solomons was essentially a magic school that had been there for a long time. It was sort of like a, the lore of the Skolomans is, is really complicated, but basically over that site had been various places. And it had, uh, if you remember back in Warcraft two, one of the rune stones had been used there. The ones that, uh, Gul'dan had created. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, there was just a lot of magical stuff at that place, Matt. And, and there had been a school for magic there. And this, when the scourge had happened, the, the, the Cult of the Damned had taken it over and were using it as a kind of magical experimentation and and teaching place. They were, like, basically, you know, playing around with necromancy to see what they could figure out about it. Um, and Alliance and Horde both had reasons to go there uh, because it was, you know, it was Darkmaster Gandling and other people in, in the Skolomans were, were high-level members of the Scourge. And both the Alliance and the Horde had reasons to want them dead. Uh, Stratholm, though... Stratholm was basically the living, the, the unliving legacy of Arthas Menethil. Uh, it had been a major city in Lordaeron. It wasn't like, you know, it wasn't the capital city. Obviously, that was Lordaeron City itself. But in the north of Lordaeron, it was the, the center power. It was the place from which the rest of the, uh, the, the northern part of the country had been uh, outfitted from, ruled from, you know, supplied from. It was a major hub. You, you know the kind of thing. It's like you, you have... We'll use New York State as an example. Obviously, New York City is the biggest, most powerful city in New York State. But it isn't the only city in New York State. Uh, there's Albany. There's Buffalo. There's other places that are large cities that have a lot of people in them. And it would be like if somebody took out Buffalo. Yeah, which, for those of you that are not familiar with the geography of the area, Buffalo is referred to as the Queen City uh, because it was the second most powerful city in New York State with a port that rivaled the port of New York City. So, yeah, because like, it's right on the Great Lakes. Yep. So you know, there's, the Great Lakes are enormous. They're like a little inland sea. And so there's a lot of trade back and forth between you know various cities like Chicago and all that goes back and forth through these, these all, port cities. All that to say that the port cities in, in, in fantasy 
fantasy writing or or description are based in reality where they can have as much power or influence as an area's capital or as the seat of uh, law or rule in whatever kingdom that it sits in. So Yeah, and in this case, Stratholme is very much that. It was a, a regional powerhouse. Mm-hmm. And so when... To go, I don't want to spend the don't want to re, re, redo the whole third war here. I mean, we've talked about it a lot, but basically, when Arthas came to Stratholme, he was attempting to stop the distribution of the tainted grain that had already claimed uh, places like Hearthglen, and he'd he'd already experienced one mass rising of the dead. He'd he'd already seen a, like a place wiped out by this, uh, and Uther and, and Jaina had not seen it yet. They had not actually lived through it. He had, so it was it's probable that Arthas's decision-making was, was based in trauma, and that's something we never really talk about, the fact that Arthas had just barely survived seeing an entire village turn into the Walking Dead, and now he was looking at the biggest city in northern Lordaeron and, and knowing it was going to happen there. And I feel like you're right. I feel like we don't really talk about the trauma that it inflicts upon, or that, that Arthas sort of internalized throughout that whole thing because I feel it's really easy just to, to mark Arthas as, yet yeah, he's the villain, move on, but you got to understand too, like it broke him. It broke him in a way that he was not prepared for. He was a young kid who was being prepared from birth to rule in his father's place once his father passed. And he hadn't been, you know, subject to, to war or, you know, anything huge or, or largely like destructive it firsthand, like a lot of other kingdoms had experienced. And so he grew up on stories of it, not experiencing it, and then being told what a great leader he's going to be and how he's going to rule in his, you know, his father's place. And, you know, it's going to come a time and he's going to be, he's being bred to be this great, you know, leader that gets to you. It's the same equivalent of in real life of telling a kid they're gifted and talented for the entirety of their, their childhood and then setting them loose in the world and then they have to deal with it. So he sees a thing that he's not prepared for, you know, yeah, these citizens that he's supposed to protect. Mm-hmm. Arthas had been in fights. He'd been in combat. Sure, but it had always same. been it had always been like this horde and this encampment of orcs is like loose, and they they're they they still worship the legion. We're going to go in and clean them out. Stuff like that, smaller scale. He hadn't been in any. And keep in mind too that granted, war he'd seen. You know, even if you'd seen war, you hadn't seen a village of your own people all rise as the Walking Dead in one go and attack you. Mm-hmm. Any, a lot of people might have broken from that. I mean, it's not everybody. There obviously are people who could get through it, but you know, Arthur, throwing Arthas in the deep end means that he goes. There's always the chance he might have drowned, and he did in this case, I think. But regardless, he, the the burning of Stratholme is a pivotal moment in in Arthas's story, and as a result of what happened in Stratholme, uh, the, the place was choked with you know the Walking Dead because the people had eaten the grain. They were turning. And Malganus ran through the place leading Arthas on a merry chase, which meant that he didn't finish cleaning the place out, uh, which he really couldn't have done anyway. He didn't have the people for it. But he didn't frankly. know that necessarily. Yeah. Well, he, he it's one of the situations where I believe he was basically just acting on instinct. I don't think he was really thinking through what he was trying agree. to do. Yeah. The city was too big. But regardless, after the Scourge had you know rampaged through Lordaeron and Lordaeron had fallen, nobody came back to deal with, with Stratholme. But the, the Scarlet Crusade did make an attempt, and it was in that attempt that Satan Dethrathon, who had been uh, one of the first paladins, met his end, because Balnazar, one of the the, the Nathrazim, uh, the Dreadlords, was waiting in uh, Stratholme. Mm-hmm. And Balnazar killed Satan Dathrathon, and then used necromancy, and boy, there's a red flag for something we found out later, uh, to essentially inhabit his body. He, he moved into Satan Dathrathon's dead body and animated it with, with necromantic power. It's actually very interesting all the times we see that the Nathrazim have been doing stuff involving ne- necromancy. From the very and beginning, invo- yeah. And how involved the Nathrazim were in the Scourge and the formation of the Lich King and all of that. It, it's sort of like, you know, we, we kind of just took it on face value and, and, you know, we knew they were deceivers. They told us multiple times and yet we still didn't really question them. Um, but regardless, that's another thing that happened. The Scarlet Crusade became a, a tool of oppression and evil because their their leader, the paladin who was essentially in charge of it, was possessed by the Dreadlord Balnazar in Stratholme. So that's another thing that happened there. Uh, the, the, the Crusade basically got a 
found they had a bulwark inside there, but it was a bulwark that they had because they were secretly being manipulated by Balnazar. So Stratholme is a major part of the story of of the Scourge and of the original game because you you went in there several times. You experienced uh, Balnazar himself. You you fought Satan Dathrathon and, and so and found out that he was possessed by Balnazar, and then you went and fought Lord Rivendare. And Lord Rivendare was, uh, amongst other things, he was a, one of the initial Death Knights, the ones that served Arthas directly. I, I say initial, but I don't mean he was a Warcraft II Death Knight. They're different Death Knights, and, and that's... Do you want to talk about that? No, we don't have time for that. We don't have time for that. <laughs> <laughs> that's the problem here. There's a lot of lore tied up in all this, guys. Um, I think we should probably talk at least a little bit about the, the in-game stuff that fed to this. The reason we're bringing all this up is that Stratholme was originally going to be how you got into Nexramas. Yeah, it was supposed to be the point where like you you got in there and remember how we talked about uh, you would go through uh, Upper Black Rock Spire uh, or or and you would be able to get to Blackwing Lair. There was a, an instance portal inside of the dungeon. This was the basic concept that they were talking about redoing at this time. That yeah, and, and to the point where the portal exists. If you if you go into Stratholme today, mm-hmm. it's the still portal there. Is, it's physically there. Like you can go around a corner and there's down a tunnel and suddenly there's just a portal waiting and it doesn't go anywhere because it never got connected up. But it's there. Similar similar to the one that existed in. Uh oh god Stormwind there was a a portal yeah. that existed in Stormwind that was supposed to go to a later raid that never happened. Yeah they right. were going to have another they have a they have the uh the stockades in Stormwind and they were going to have a higher level uh raid dungeon type thing and they just never did it. It's just there and they never got completed. Um basically what was going to happen the way that this was going to work and I think it's still important for the lore of of the dungeon that we did get was that the reason Naxxramas comes down to the Plaguelands is because of us. It's because we basically start cleaning the Scourge out of the Plaguelands. And if you, if you played through WoW Classic, because a lot of people, you wouldn't have seen this in, in the original game because you weren't playing back then. Uh, this all came out. This is another thing. This all came out because of, of Wrath of the Lich King. Mm-hmm. A lot of this stuff, this, this story stuff got removed. But basically, because both the Horde and Alliance were making strides in the Plaguelands, they were killing off various Scourge minions. I don't remember... There was a Horde quest that involved killing an Oracle. Uh, do you remember this one, Joe? Were you playing Horde back then? I was playing Horde back then, but I don't remember this specific quest. It was one It was one involved uh, killing an Oracle. You were doing it on behalf of Nathanos Blightcaller. Um, Nathanos, if you were Horde, Nathanos was a big deal uh, at in the, the time. Pla- well, in the Plaguelands, he was basically yeah. the one that was in charge of that entire Warfront for you. Which yeah, he was makes the one sense. giving you the quest. Yep. And if you were Alliance, obviously, eventually you wanted to kill Nathanos, but that's, you know, regardless... Um, the Alliance had, were, were trying to find out what was up with Tyrion Fordring and, and all that stuff. But either way, all roads led ultimately to Stratholme. Even the Skolomance basically ultimately led you to Stratholme, where you went in and you you dealt with uh, the Scarlet Crusade because the Scarlet Crusade had been you know thorns in everybody's side this whole time. They they'd been up in Tirisfall Glades from the, the Scarlet Monastery. You know they'd been given the Horde problems, but they were also given the Alliance problems. They were like there were Scarlet Crusaders like torturing people and being generally uh, annoying to the Alliance as well. So and not only that, but like gang pressing people into service too, right? Like, oh yeah. That yeah, was, that absolutely. was a thing that, that I guess, I guess needs to be stated. And they, they were basically forcing people to join the crusade. And if not, well, maybe you were a heretic and they would burn you. Who knew? Yeah. And they also, they, just generally speaking, that the history of the Scarlet Crusade is something we should probably cover at some point, but, they were basically, because Balnazar was pretending to be Satan Dathrathan, they were ultimately serving um, the Dreadlords and their their agenda in the Plaguelands. And because the Dreadlords, uh, you can't really trust the Dreadlords, even before we knew about the whole Shadowlands thing, we knew that the Dreadlords were bad news. So they couldn't be trusted. They had to be dealt with. At the same time, there was also the original Scourge. And the other side of Stratholme was run by Lord Rivendare, as I mentioned, who had basically been a paladin who turned into a death knight and was directly serving the lich king when you beat him uh you you cleared the way to essentially start retaking the plague lands and this was not something that the 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 lich king wanted you know he didn't want to give up the plague lands he'd already you know that's his kingdom from his perspective 
all of that stuff is technically his. And, and keep in mind, this is this is Arthas as the Lich King at this point. Who, yes. you know, and these are human lands, Lordaeron lands, or Lordaeron adjacent allied lands that are now under the purview of the Lich King. Yeah, he sees them as his by right. So when when we got done doing the various uh, Argent Dawn quests, getting the Scourge Stones, doing all that stuff, clearing out Stratholme and. Scholomance in lore, when you did all those dungeons and so forth, you'd, you'd effectively begun the process of reclaiming the, skir- the, the plague lands. And then, we, of course, we went off and did other stuff for a while. From uh, from our perspective, all the other raids are, are considered to have happened kind of in kind of in chronological order, not exactly, but kinda. Like basically, Molten Core and Ani we did first, then Blackwing Lair, then the you know Zulgarub uh, and the AQs. And all that stuff had sort of happened in sync. And if you go read Chronicle, they give you an exact order of which faction did what. That's and, not really important for the experience of this raid. But the the important thing about this raid, though, at least to me, is that like the lead up is is home not just in the Plague Lands, but it also does have ties to when we talk about AQ and what we talked about in the last episode. Um, mm-hmm. And you want me to go into that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So the original conception of Naxxramas is Naxxramas was actually a Nerubian citadel. And if you remember, the Nerubians were, well, essentially descendants, if you want to call it that way, of old god bugs. And they happen to be the ones that existed in Northrend. Uh, so in this particular case, probably the ones that were closest associated with um, Yogg-Sarong, since he happened to be the one that, that that's sort of his domain. Um mm-hmm. What wound up happening is Anubarak, who was at one point the last king, I believe, of the Nerubian Empire. Um, yep. He in the War of the Spider, uh, he was slaughtered with a whole bunch of other Nerubians. With then Nerzul Lich King, not Arthas Lich King, raised the undead crypt lord to do his bidding. Um, the reason this is important is because at one point in time, Anubarak led that force of undead uh essentially Nerubian servants into Naxxramas to claim it for the Lich King. And that was the first step in converting it from what was a Nerubian uh, citadel into the machine of war that it was. And so if he didn't exist, it is suspect whether or not Nexramus would ever exist because there wouldn't have been a powerful, ready enough force that knew the land as well as an undead Nerubian to go into a Nerubian citadel. Uh, so there, there's a tie there that I think is often overlooked. A lot of folks will talk about Nexramus as being like the Lich King's mobile fortress, uh, you know, Kalthazad's home. They'll, they'll bring up all those points, but they often forget that it started as that Nerubian Citadel. And you can see this too. Like if you go into any of the old uh, Nerubian uh, instances in Wrath of the Lich King, you can actually see things that look like this everywhere. And there's a reason why once Nexramus started to exist, that the Necropolis uh, form of, of creation, War Machine, existed throughout Northrend. Because now that you know how to convert it, now you can take all of these other ones that exist all throughout the land because don't forget they they've tunneled through this land. They have huge cavernous uh, empire. This is the whole thing about the Nerubians. Like if you go into any of those instances, you can look out and just see for for lack of a better term for miles in game. So these are other ones that, that have been converted and turned into these plague spewing war machines. So Naxxramas was the start of that. It was the first, and it would not have been possible had. Anubarak not died in the War of the Spider and had Nerzul not had the forethought to raise him. Um, and keep in mind that too, when Nerzul did that, he did that as a punishment. Yes. Because the Scourge had basically rolled over everything else they'd fought until they met the Nerubians. And the Nerubians were actually hard. Like That had, he, that had required him to, to put focus into it. Nerzul arrived on Azeroth a long time before he actually began Warcraft 3. Mm-hmm. Like they, there was like several years where he was basically stuck trying to pacify the Nerubians. And once they did pacify him, they learned quite a bit. The Scourge incorporated a lot of the stuff they learned from the Nerubians. It's actually interesting if you look at the, the when you see later on Scourge stuff. Like, for instance, um, I can't remember the name of it. And it's really Acarus. Is that the name of the... De- Acarus. Yeah, the, the Death Knight one. 
Yeah, that thing is built on Nerubian patterns. It is. It, it's, it's essentially another Nerubian citadel that had been given to the Ebon Blade or yeah. created in the same image. Well, um, when you see too, when, when you see later on, there's other ones. When you go to, to Ice Crown to Ice Crown Glacier, you see other stuff like other ones being built, and they're being built out of uh, of Saranite, yeah. which is another connection, by the way. They're being built out of Saranite, which is literally the blood of Yog Saran, but they're still being built along the Nerubian plan. The interesting thing about that is it all ties back to, and I don't remember if you remember this, there was a Compendium of Fallen Heroes. It was a book that you could actually read in-game. Uh, and it talked about the architect of this, and not just uh, Naxxramas, but also the architect of the Arceus. Um, or Ar Arceus, whatever. I can never pronounce it. I'm sorry, folks. But Obrahim the Traveler, who was a a skeleton, a lowly skeleton of the Scourge, um, that kept... That, that just had a, he had enough of his memory left as an architect to figure out how to do these things to sort of understand the power structure and it wasn't just like putting rocks on top of rocks it wasn't just taking serenite and learning how to stack it in the right way it was again copying those arcane sigils uh Oberhan the traveler became an archlich uh, or uh, no, I'm sorry. He served the archlich Kalthazad. Um, he was one of his most trusted advisors. Um, he disappeared in Zin Ashari and was never heard from again. Now think about that. If he could take and understand the Nerubian architecture, combine that with the undead prowess and power and the necromantic magic, what would have happened if he had not been uh, stopped or disappeared in Zin Ashari? That could have been even more dangerous and even created so much more uh, ridiculous power structure, not just for Kel'Thuzad, but also for the Lich King. That could have been a much harder you. fight. And this is also another connection to uh, AQ, because Zinashari is also the resting place of another uh, old god. Zinashari sits, uh, the, the palace of uh, the Zinashari of Queen Ashara sits mm -hmm. atop the uh, prison cell of Nazoth. Yeah. That so was the whole point of that. And, and for that matter, uh, one of the reasons that you go to AQ, um, if you're at the time, if you were a caster, was that the base of Atiesh had somehow ended up at AQ. And that's that's a big thing. That that ties back into it. But that's not important for the lore of Nexramus. But it is interesting because one of the things you see, if you played Warcraft 3, um, one of the, the units of the, uh, of the Scourge is the Obsidian Destroyer. It's the giant cat senator type thing with, with wings that they unleash. It's, it's an Arubian original creation, but it's not an Arubian original creation. Mm -hmm. It's a tall veer. It's a tall veer that has never under, never experienced the curse of flesh. Much like if you see there's dwarves and then there's the earthen, it's the same kind of thing. Or if you look at a giant Vrykul and think, wow, that guy's enormous. And then you look at a human and go, okay, not so much. Same basic deal. We will then see, Obsidian Destroyers in AQ because the original Tolvir that were corrupted are there as well. So the Nerubians had Tolvir that they had enslaved and the Karaji had Tolvir that they had enslaved and both were being used. When the Nerubians fell, that, that knowledge, that secret fell into Nerzul's hands and later Arthas's. By the time Nexramus comes south, though, it doesn't come south alone. I think you were heading in that direction, right, Joe? I think I was, but please feel free. Um, the first Scourge invasion is actually the, the I, I want to say, the the prologue to the arrival of Nexramus. And what happens was, is, yeah. yeah, what happened was, if you were playing WoW at the time, Nexramus appears in the air above various places, one of the places being Ironforge. I'm pretty sure they hit Orgrimmar too, right? Yeah, they hit the major cities, because it was above Ironforge, yeah. it was above uh, or outside Stormwind at one point, um, Orgrimmar, Thunderbluff... Uh, which was very, very interesting. But yeah, I mean, I've still got screenshots somewhere of me outside uh, Ironforge in my at the time full tier two. Now, uh, I have with, one with as that well. Thing, with that thing floating right above the the gates of Ironforge, and they didn't just show up; they began disgorging undead. They they had these summoning stones, and they were just like waves Scourge of undead stones, coming yeah. down. Yeah. So the, the interesting thing about that, though, too, is, is and I want to put this in a little bit of context as well for people that maybe didn't get to experience this. And you have to understand that, again, and we talk about this a lot, the Internet really wasn't a thing for, for World of Warcraft quite yet. Um, 
we had just started getting fan sites up and running. Um, there wasn't really a big news cycle. Uh, there weren't YouTube channels dedicated to us. And also, Blizzard didn't announce events. When this is when when this started happening, there was no announcement that it was going to happen. It just started happening. So as players, you're entering the world, and I have similar screenshots to Matt, and I, it's my hunter, and I'm in tier two gear, and I'm looking out at this, and I'm like, "What the hell is going on? What is happening here? Why is why is Warcraft three occurring again?" And then a whole wave of big undead just starts coming and killing. Because there was no warning, there was nothing, and it was just something that players had to experience and figure out in real time. And as a result, because of the nature of the the type of event, uh, which we can talk about here a little bit, I don't want to go too far into it because it's not important for the story aspect of it, but when you got hit by somebody who was infected, you turned into an undead monstrosity. And when you turned into an undead monstrosity... You would infect other people. It was a plague. It was the scourge, the plague of undeath again, like we saw in Warcraft 3, like we saw in the birth of Arthas as the Lich King going down that path. That's what was happening again. And you as a player couldn't stop it unless you went and found scourge stones and took away some of their handheld. But players could still infect other players. And it created this dread, this this absolute dread of where can I go if I don't want to experience this? How do I deal with this? And you changed everything about how you approach the game in those moments because you like dealing with it was just, it was a thing. Like you wanted to go to the auction house. You better hope that they decided that the, that the undead isn't going to be there today. Uh, you want to, you know, go and do some low level questing. Good luck with that. It was a massive, massive thing for, a while, and this was the lead-up. This was the announcement of the coming of Naxxramas. And it was kind of like, it, it, I don't know how to explain this lore-wise, but it's basically like Arthas doesn't do things by halves. Rather than start off small or anything like that, he, he kind of did in a way. There, there were some like, gr- there was some shenanigans with Tainted Grain and all that because he was doing a callback. But ultimately, basically, the the announcement for Naxxramas was boom, Necropolis in the sky. Yeah, have. Have a lot of undead. I'm out. Got to go do this somewhere else. And then there were like there were places that that Nexramus itself didn't show up at, but they were like there were like scourge stones being summoning undead there. Like I remember there was one in Tanaris, mm-hmm. and there were various other places you'd had to go and try and like root out this. And it was it was worldwide. It was all happening at once, and everybody was like on the back foot. It was like, what is happening? Is it was this- as close to you feeling like you were in the middle of the first Scourge invasion as you could possibly get. And it was really well done in that regard. Yeah, and it it basically led to what we can call, we can consider the counterattack, which led to a, there was a summit at Light's Hope Church. Uh, you've been to Light's Hope, you know, you, you know the basic drill. Uh, the Argent Dawn basically put out feelers to the Scarlet Crusade and were like, okay, we hate you, you hate us. There's that whole Balnazar thing we could deal with at some point, but the Scourge is literally here, right now, in force. And the Scarlet Crusade were actually, like, the, the more reasonable members of the Crusade showed up. They came to the to the summit. They were like, you know, yeah, we hate you and you hate us, but but yeah, that's a problem, and we got to deal with it. That was because the Urgent Cru- Dawn in the Scarlet Crusade summit, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. And they, so they called you, if since you'd been basically... If you'd been questing in the area, and you had been, it was one of the few places to really do anything at max level when you weren't doing dungeons and raids. The, the Plaguelands were one of the higher level zones, so you'd been questing there. Um, especially if you were going to be doing Stratholm. Yeah. Uh, which you were. Like I said, for a while you could raid Stratholm at, uh, with ten people. And that, that continued for a long time. Even though the, 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 the gear wasn't like... The gear was about on par with Blackrock Spire or what have you. No, it was, it was on par with Blackwing Lair. Not, at the time, for at least weapons and stuff like that, it was. No, man, it wasn't. I'm, I'm going to have to disagree with you. Sure. The, the, the weapons were the same eye level as the stuff that dropped in UBRS. It's just, but they were like on, they were on par with the Arcanite Reaper and stuff, but Molten Core gear was was significantly better than anything that dropped in Strad, with the exception of the sword that dropped from Rivendell. And the axes, that was, the, the cleavers, that was a, but yeah. Yeah, but those, again, those were... They weren't as good as Molten Core gear or Blackwing Lair gear. It's just that they were what you got before that. 
because they could you could put the two agility in chance. I, I remember this. Guys, this has nothing to do with the lore of it, but I'm gonna have to talk <laughs> about it for a second. You had to go and you had to basically go and clear the tunnel full of furbolgs to get the agility enchants for one-handed weapons and two-handed weapons because that was the only place that sold them and you had to get to like a certain uh I forget if it was like honored or or revered but you had to get to a certain rep level with the furbolg to to buy these enchants and when you bought the enchants I I had the enchants because I was married to a hunter and I and literally could not live my life without getting those enchants that it just there was no way she had the saddest eyes talking about how expensive those enchants were and so i had to go and grind on 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 bears until i finally had those enchants and then as soon as i got those enchants it was like hunters just popped out of the woodwork whenever i logged on it would be like there would be a hunter waiting behind me the second i logged in going oh you, i heard you got those agility enchants like ah how did you get in here <laughs> like seriously so that that's I, so this is burned into my memory. The bone slicing hatchets were not actually as good as Blackwing Lair gear. They just were the best you could get until Blackwing Lair. Fair enough. Because hun- hunters were hunters needed agility and chance. But at any rate, because you'd been doing Stratholme so much, you you probably were pretty close to at least revered with the Argent Dawn. Nexaramas patch, in addition to everything else, it basically brought a focus to what you were doing there, and that's why the the Argent Dawn called you specifically to come up and talk to them. And they put in, like, the various armor sets that basically looked like Paladin Tier 2 for every class. Um, that was that was this patch as well. But they were like, okay, we're going to be doing a major assault on Naxxramas. And we need you for this. Uh, this is so important that the Scarlet Crusade and the Argent Dawn are going to work together on this. And it's not going to work without you. Um, so the whole invasion, that was you setting up you, the, their plan to counterattack. To, to go up into Nax. And at the time, like, we talked the last time about AQ and the AQ event and, and how that worked and how it had been unique. And from that, they went into the Nax event. And the Nax event, as Joe pointed out, literally just sort of started happening. And it was all over the world and everybody was like, what's going on? So I want to say that Nax had been set up more than, I think, any raid before it. Yeah, I would agree with that. And... I, do you want to talk about the actual encounters, or how do you want to... This is the thing. Talking about the lore of Nax is, is complicated. Um, so I think we can talk about the general wings of it and kind of go into some of the, the, the broader strokes, I think would probably be the best way to do it. Um, and the way that it worked is that there were four distinct wings uh, for Nax Ramis. And it was supposed to... And it was your first uh, effort of seeing something that was massively bigger on the inside than it was on the outside. Um, there was the Spider Wing, the Plague Wing, the Death Knight or Military Wing, and the Abomination Wing, um, at least as first presented. Um, and the yeah, yeah, absolutely. map for it, I think, was... I think they released it in, like, 2006, something like that. Um, most people started with the Military Quarter or the Death Knight Quarter uh, because it was the quote-unquote the easiest um and the re- <laughs> yeah 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 <sighs> but each one of them introduced new mechanics so the first taste of this type of fight that you got was instructor resuvius it was what greeted most players now instructor resuvius in concept is well not terrible um he is essentially the Death Knight commander and trainer of all Death Knights that are raised inside of Nexramus. This is before the Ebon Blade. This is before um, basically anything. Um, and him in his bright blue armor, he hit like a truck. He hit like a truck so hard that a fully geared uh, tank would get basically one or two shot um, between his abilities. Whether it was his disrupting shout, which dealt about like... 8,000 physical damage to the entire raid. Um, did it also disrupt spellcasting? It did. Uh, and he cast it every 15 seconds. It would spell lock you as well. So um, you had to get him moved. You had to maneuver him. So that he couldn't hit the rest of the raid. Yeah. Um, or a jagged knife, which encountered uh, a bleed effect that by itself doesn't sound too bad. Um, it's max. But I'm going I'm to I'm 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 point this out to you. Like This is vanilla stats, right? This is 5,000 physical damage and applied like a 10,000 bleed per second over five seconds. 
That was horrible. And it was a raid-wide effect that you had to have him out of line of sight. And then you had Unbalancing Strike, in which he would deal 350% weapon damage to whatever he was hitting. And reduce your defense skill by 100. He was a tank killer. So... This wasn't a fight that you tanked him the proper way. Instead, there was a mind control orb in the that needed to be triggered. No, no, too. Sorry, no. go ahead. Not originally. Originally, you just had to mind control them. Yes, I'm sorry, you're correct, because you had to bring priests for it. You had you no had choice have, but to bring priests. You had to have at least three priests for this. Because he was teaching four guys. And the way you would tank him was you'd have three tanks... Actually, you'd have four tanks, but we we did it with three because our priest was really fast. You'd have three tanks pick up each of those ads. You'd have the the priests mind controlling the one ad, and then and you, that ad would have tank Resuvius. Would, would taunt and tank Resuvius. So a priest player would have to pick up the ad, taunt Resuvius, and then tank him until he killed that guy. And then it would repeat. Then you would grab the next one. And so as this went on, you ran out of tanks because he would kill them. So the timer of the fight was, you know, how many ads do we have left? How low is he? Is he going to die before he kills everybody? And if he doesn't die before he kills anyone, all of your tanks basically have to chain suicide. Yeah. So you can get him down. And and And, that doesn't sound like a whole lot, but you also have to understand that, like, he had, like, 10 million hit points. And at the time, like... It was that was like the highest health on a boss we think we had seen at that point. Yeah, he like was, the damage the damage of the guys who were tanking him was actually required to kill him. Yeah, because those guys also hit hard. Um, so yeah, it was it was saying that it was easy. It's like once you got the flow of it, it wasn't too bad compared to some other fights. There were fights inside Nax that made you want to pull your hair out. But what was really interesting about it was what it taught you about what Arthas was doing because at the time. Keep in mind that, that Wrath of the Lich King was two expansions away here. Yeah, we hadn't heard or talked about Death Knight since Warcraft 3. Yeah, this was, so you're seeing that you know, Arthas is raising the dead and creating an army of, like, Death Knights to fight for him. The military wing is all about what's going on up in Northrend. And you you realize, he you know, people are like, you know, what's he been doing? What's going on? And finally, like, at the end of, of original World of Warcraft, you find out he has not been sitting on his hands. No, he's been taking the bodies of everything that's died in all the wars we've been fighting and all the plagues that he has. And he's been secreting them away and then giving them to one one such as Gothic the Harvester to resurrect them uh, as trainees. And if they can hold their spirit together, they get to become uh, Death Knights, which is great instead of, you know, just ghosts not inhabiting bodies yeah Um, and it's definitely a different approach if you look at the approach of it it's it's it also one of the things that signifies is that arthas is not near zul yes near zul just used the the plague of undeath to just raise everybody as mindless shambling undead arthas does not want an army of mindless shambling undead which is at least not, not by itself which is personified not just by the first encounter in that wing but also the last encounter the four horsemen now the four horsemen. Dari- it was Darian Morgrain. Um, no, not Darian. No, no, Darian. Alex- um, Alexa- Alexandrus Morgrain. Um, oh, who are the other ones? Uh, Thoris Trollbane. I- Na- um, Sir Zeliac. Sir Zeliac. I can't remember the uh, the dwarf. I think you just said her. Um, hold on, I'll look it up while you talk. Yeah, go go ahead and talk more about. But it. these were these were death knights in the same manner in which Arthas was a death knight. They had intelligence. They had their wits about them. They weren't. Uh, they. I'm sorry, Thane. I got it. Thane Corth, Corthas, Lady Blamu, uh, Blamiel, Blamiel, uh, yeah, yeah, and then Morgrain. These were commanders. These were folks that had been battle tested or had been servants of the light or had been warriors to an extreme sense. These were generals. These were folks that were used to commanding armies and fighting in glory and honor. These were not just some random schlub body that was animated and given a sword and said, go lead this battalion. No, these were people that in life were military geniuses. And Arthas raised them and made them his four generals, the four horsemen. And they were going to lead his death knights, the ones that were being resurrected by the Harvester, being trained by Instructor Resuvius in glorious combat to take everything. Not just a little bits and pieces here, not just wage like a little combat. No, 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 no. 
take everything. And this wasn't happening in Northrend. This was happening in the Plaguelands, our backyard, on the main continent. It was a wake-up call. And that was your introduction to this place because it was like, again, like Matt said, Ner'zhul was just treating it like a, a, a wipeout and, and just raise everything and just crush it by by numbers. Arthas yeah, but knew Arthas better. was a strategist. He knew better. He had been trained better. Yeah, he, he basically was like, for all that Arthas had his flaws and his blind spots, the way Arthas looked at it was, sure, it's great to have a, a, the bulk of, you know, it's, it's great to have that zombie force. That's fine. Um, th- those are definitely useful cannon fodder. I can throw them at my enemies, but they're not going to win this for me. They're not going to turn all life on Azeroth into the undead. They're not going to serve my purpose. I need commanders. I need people that I can... And this is something you'll see him do later. Uh, when If you played Wrath of the Lich King, it, it's basically his, his strategy there too. But this was the first time we got a sense of it. The idea that Arthas wanted an elite. He wanted you know, trained, disciplined skilled, independent thinkers. I mean, still serving him, still like, you know, di- doing his bidding, but he didn't have to micromanage them. Yeah, the difference between have- having to t- lay everything out step by step to a, a base undead versus saying, go take this city and then trusting that that person understands the best way to do it. Yeah, and that's, the, the cool thing about too is that when you fought the uh, Four Horsemen, after you did Resuvius, after you got through the, you know, the Harvester, uh, once you finally fought the Four Horsemen, one of the things that happened was Mograine was the Ashbringer, Alexandrus yes. Mograine. He had been the guy who had terrified the Scourge so much that they'd actually made a deal with the Scarlet Crusades, you know, you know, to betray him. Because Mograine had actually been in the Crusade at the time before uh, before what happened to um, Satan Dathrathan. Mograine had been one of them. They had they had weren't crazy yet. He had basically been wiping out waves of Scourge. Um, so when he died, he was raised by, uh, the Lich King. Um, I believe it was actually was, uh, Kel'Thuzad himself. Who it did was, it. yeah, that was Kel'Thuzad. Uh, and he became, you know, the, the leader of the Four Horsemen. When we, when he's defeated in Exramas, he dropped the Ashbringer, the actual Ashbringer, the, the weapon, the original, uh, artifact. And, it, but it had been corrupted because he had been turned into an undead. And so in lore, you were wandering around with that thing. Mm-hmm. And, but in in the game's lore, eventually it, it basically ends up in the hands of his son, Darian Mograine. He's using it as his after weapon. he killed after he killed his father, quote unquote. Yeah, because in the game, in the lore of of Wrath of the Lich King, uh, it's not you that does this; it's Darian. It the ties in. That promise is from is Darian. It ties in with the Ashbringer comics at the time, which I which would, are extremely good. I would highly recommend reading it uh, if you have the opportunity for. Um, it explains it very, very well, gives a lot of background for not just Morgrain, but also Zeliac and uh, basically Le- uh, Lady Blamayu and basically all of them. It gives you context that we didn't have at the time. Yeah. Someone once pointed out, too, this is a thing that, that doesn't it's not really a lore thing, but it is interesting to point out. It took seven weeks for people to clear this encounter. This encounter, the single this encounter. encounter. Of the four horsemen, it took seven weeks for people to clear it. It this is still one of the like the longest periods of time for world first kill on a in not even a, and not on an end boss. This yeah, is a boss, not even the end boss. The end boss of a single wing. They did this was a pretty impressive fight, and that's the thing. All of Nax was like this. It set up a lot of things. It took the lore that you'd been seeing throughout like the plague lands, and suddenly there's freaking Mograine. Mm-hmm. There's the Ashbringer himself. There's Zeliac, um, Thane Corthaz, Lady Blamio. These are big figures, and it's it's really hard to explain how enormous it was. The other thing about the lore of of Naxxramas that I want to talk about is the, just the way it felt to do it. Mm-hmm. Because if you only ever experienced Naxxramas in Wrath of the Lich King, it, it was a fine raid. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, but it didn't have the, the feeling, enormity. The feeling was different because. They were scaling it down. This was a 40-player raid when it when it was first designed, and as a 40-player raid, it was it was difficult to get through because there were some significantly large trash bowls where, like, close to other trash bowls that would like love to add. You had to be very strategic about it, and it definitely gave you the feeling of the military wing is a military wing. This place is what it says it is. You're going in here. 
you are facing the cream of Arthas's nascent army. Yep. This is going to be what the Scourge is going to be like from now on. And I think, for, I don't know what your guild did. Where did you go after military? After military, we wound up going to the Plague Quarter. Okay. We went to Abomination Wing. Interesting. But then we got our butts absolutely handed to us. So, uh, which wing is uh, the, the is you know Anubrakan in? Is Anubrakan is in the Arachnid Quarter. He's the yeah, first we, boss of the of the Arachnid. So then we went to fight Anubrakan. I, I kind of want to talk about Anubrakan. Yeah, I was going to go there next. Yeah, please, absolutely. So yeah, uh, the 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 Arachnid Quarter. The, you know, the one that starts with Anubrakan and it ends with um, that big giant spider, Maxina. And on the way, you you run into oh, what is her name? Uh, the, you're talking about the grand uh, the grand window. Thank you. Yeah, Fer- Ferlina. Um, Ferlina. Yeah. yeah, this was a interesting wing because these are all fairly new to us. But Anubarakan obviously was like Anubarak. He was a a, a, a crypt lord. Well, he served with he served with uh, Anubar- Anubarak. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He was he was he was one of the nobility. Mm-hmm. Um, so you went in and fought him first, and it basically sets up the the Arachnid wing is basically the legacy of the Nerubians inside Naxxramas. And how they and how they are now serving the Lich King. Yeah, so you fight Anubrakan, who is, you know, he's a big crypt lord. He's, that's, this is, these are the royalty of the, the Nerubians now raised into undeath and serving uh, the Lich King. And that's, you know, it, it, they didn't want to put Anubarak in there because they didn't want us to kill Anubarak. Let's just be up front. They didn't want us to kill Anubarak right away, so they didn't put him in there. But they put, like, one of his, essentially one of his top people. And you fought that first. Then you went and fought Ferlina. And Ferlina is like, it gives you an example of here's the cult of the damned. Here is what they are. Here is what they do. Like they've, they've raised, they, they've raised abominations like a Nubricon, and now you have to face them. And that fight was super complicated. <laughs> um, with a lot of, you had to, you actually had to use the ads on her, like you'd kill them near her. Sort of thing. I, we're not really here to talk about the. We would the see that late. We would see that echoed later on, but this is where one where that mechanic sort of expanded or or started. Yeah, but but as go we, ahead. I was gonna say that the interesting thing, just because I don't want to, we're, we're gonna be running out of time relatively soon. The point of Naxxramas at this uh, this thing is every single wing felt distinct. Every single wing felt like a raid in its own right, and it highlighted something that. Players maybe had known but had never seen before, and that is the fact that Arthas as the Lich King is dangerous. And, like, you know that he's dangerous because you've been told that he's dangerous. Maybe at this point you've... Most people that are playing this game at this point have played through Warcraft 3, and that's what what transitioned them in. They understand the story of Arthas Menethil, but you never experienced it firsthand after he became the Lich King because it was... He was this far-off figure sitting on a throne of ice, biding his time and doing whatever. He, and he, like Matt pointed out earlier, everything here is an example of how that is not the case. Not only is he building uh, that, that, that army of skilled and devoted and loyal Death Knights, he's using the Nerubians um, and the Cult of the, the, uh, the, cult of the Damned, uh, as well as a naturally occurring creature, uh, Maxina, to fuel poisons for his plagues. Um, he's using the Plague Quarter to uh, study how those plagues affect living yeah, creatures. And, and engineer new ones. And engineer so new like, ones. And yeah. create new life. Like Lotheb, people just think, oh, he's just a bog monster. No, 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 no. Lotheb is what happens when you start experimenting with the life of Azeroth, not just living humanoids, but the plant life, the naturally occurring substance of Azeroth itself and exposing it to the plagues. Like we had seen the plague lands, we had seen Felwood, we had seen what happens when these things are, are steeped in, you know, plague or fell magics. But you don't understand that those things can be manufactured until you see Lotheb, until you see the state of the plagued champions and warriors and guardians that are undead, but like wrapped in a like this shroud of plague. When you see exactly, you know, what Hygen's been doing uh, in his quarter of it, when you see Noth the Plaguebringer, what he's been brewing, you got you get a scope of what they're trying to do. They're trying to figure out how to turn the land into a living weapon. What does that also sound like? 
That sounds like a lot of other things that we got had to deal with later on. That sounds like maybe old Gaudi stuff. That sounds like what happened with the old gods. That sounds like what happened with Nazoth. That sounds like what happened with Gahun. How many expansions later? It is ridiculous, the scope of that. And then you have the Construct Quarter, which is what happens when you take all of those flesh, the ones that fall in battle that can't be reanimated, the ones that maybe succumb to the plague too easily, uh, maybe this life, this natural life that occurs, uh, such as these, you know, weird beasts and, and core hound like creatures, and they can't survive the plague in that particular manner. What do you do with them? Do you discard them? No. You put them back together in a different configuration, and then you create abominations. And the Abomination Wing 2, one of the things that really... I, I want to move on to something, so... Yeah, yeah, I'm going to try to get this quick, but... The Abomination Wing also, you know, highlights that they'll... How ruthless Arthas is as the Ledge King. Mm -hmm. Because the final boss of, of the, the Plague Wing is basically made out of orphans and widows. It's Good old Thaddeus. After killing everybody else, he then just... He, he gang presses the corpses of all, of all his completely helpless victims... And sticks them into this gigantic monstrosity. And not just but, the flesh of them, but he's fused their souls together. Yeah. So, yeah. All of this leads... Basically, the, the entirety of Naxxramas is basically a tour on what the Scourge is now. Because if you, if you only knew the Scourge from Warcraft 3, you only knew the Scourge that led to the creation of the Forsaken... If, if you played Forsaken or knew anything about them, you may feel like, oh, I, I know what the Scourge is. But you didn't. And so all of the four wings of Nexramus are, are there to show you, no, no. Sylvanas thinks she's this, but she isn't yet. The, the, the plagues that the, the Forsaken are making, the stuff the Forsaken are doing. Pale that's, shadow. Pale that's shadow. That's cute. It's cute. But this is what we're talking about. But all of that leads up to the final chamber on your way to, to confront Kel'Thuzad. And in the final chamber is the most powerful dragon any player of World of Warcraft would have gotten to see at this point, because the Frostworm Saffron waits for it. And Saffron ties right back into Arthas, because if you played Warcraft 3, Saffron is the is the remaining member of the Blue Dragonflight. Keep in mind, the Blue Dragonflight was, like, almost wiped out. Mm -hmm. And up in, up in Northrend that was one of the few places that the Blue Dragons had any real power or influence left. That's where the Nexus was. And Saffron was one of their mightiest. Like a direct servant of Malagos who at this point Malagos was still insane and wasn't really doing much. So Saffron was one of the few dragons up there who had the power and the perseverance to actually control the situation. And he was keeping people out of the dragon blight. He was keeping people from getting he, their hands on various magical artifacts. He was one of the ones that was trusted with the key to the focusing iris. Mm -hmm. So when Saffron met Arthas, Arthas was like, I'm going through here. Saffron said, no, the two of them fought, and if not for Anubarak, Arthas would have died. Yeah. Uh, it was the fact that Anubarak was there helping him that allowed the two of them, and and they keep in mind they had an entire army of Scourge with them too, to finally bring down Saffron. And Arthas, being the petty person that he was whenever somebody tried to bulk him, raised Saffron into undeath, just like he did with with uh, Sylvanas. Except he, so he wasn't a high elf, it was an enormous dragon. And now it was an undead monstrosity. When you walked into that chamber, I don't, I don't think the impact of that chamber can really be felt anymore. Um, even if you see the, the full thing, it's not the same. Because we had no idea what was going on in there. You stepped into that room for the first time, and there's a big skull on the ground, and that's it. And you're like, well, okay, let's go, let's go to Kel'Thuzad. I mean, maybe you knew there was supposed to be a fight here, because, you know, at the time... It, but the, it, chamber it was, the chamber was empty. Like, when you get up yeah. there, you're spoiling for a fight. And again, don't forget, we'll go back to it, the internet wasn't really as, as broad as it was. Guilds weren't sharing their secrets with and each other. And there wasn't anything like... the Like, today we have, like, the dungeon guide that tells that you... didn't exist in-game. Yeah, so we didn't know what was going to happen. I remember stepping on off of the, the teleport, teleport platform up there. You step off... And you look around and there's nothing. And then you, you start walking in and you get to a certain point and suddenly... Frost and bone starts to swirl yeah. around you. And this is one of those cases. We talked about environmental storytelling several times already in this series talking about the raids. But this was the purest example of a moment where literally everybody just stopped and was like, what the F is that? Yeah, I remember Vent and being incredibly like just deadly silent as everybody's just taking in what just happened. 
And and as the swirling happens and it continues, and then there's a flash, and there's the dragon. Well, the dragon skeleton, because that's all it is, is a dragon skeleton. And we've seen that since. It's all over, you know. If you did, if you did, um, oh, bloody heck, Karazhan. If you did Karazhan, you saw it with Nightbane. It's all over Wrath of the King. But this was the first time in an original World of Warcraft that we'd seen anything like this. Mm-hmm. Like, We'd we'd seen dragons. We'd seen the dragons of nightmare. We'd seen, but they were fleshy. They were they were alive, crazy, maybe corrupted, but alive. Yeah, this was the first time you saw this big dragon skeleton just waiting for you. And yes, mechanically hard fight. It was a beast, but the real thing was that it kept coming to your head. This is the warm up. This is what we have to get through to get to Kel'Thuzad. And that means, because it's game logic, it's game story, it's not real-world logic. In the real world, if they put a big dragon in front of you, that's probably the hardest thing you're going to fight. But you know, once you go into Kel'Thuzad, it's going to be harder than this. Mm-hmm. And this fight's a nightmare. So the whole time, you're thinking, oh my god, what the heck is he going to do in there? And I think, I'm going to let Joe talk about the Kel'Thuzad fight, because we don't have a ton of time. The Kel'Thuzad fight was basically... You walk in and you understand for the first time what an archlich actually is. We had seen liches and other forms throughout the game. You had encountered them in dungeons and, uh, you know, other places throughout the world. Uh, you sort of understand the magic of it, but nothing, nothing prepares you for this fight on the first time that you you experience it. And he is every bit the master that was exiled from the Kirin Tor that you would expect. Now, keep in mind, Kalthazad was a member of the Council of Six, the strongest magicians that the Kirin Tor had at their disposal. Um, he it was up there with others that we've seen in the past. He was up there with, with in terms of power with Khadgar and Tinnitus. Like, he's not a slouch at all. And he was always after more power. And in this form, he's summoning endless waves of undead. He has portals open across the entirety of the room where you can see where all of these different places of influence are. And like you, I believe the four portals go to where his four students were, which were Hecular, Ras Frostwhisper, uh, Ronham, and Nalesis. Like he is. It is an enormous undertaking, and part of the problem with the fight is not only is it mechanically very, very grueling, but if you don't do it right, if you don't encounter it the right way, it has this feeling to me like an old D&D fight. If you don't approach it the right way, you have no hope of winning, and that sense of despair, that sense of enormity, that sense of power, that scale is so well represented in this fight with his taunting, like his taunting, uh, just voice his the powers that he's summoning, the, the effects that he's dishing out to the rest of the party. He's a master of frost. He's a master of death. And yeah, it's, it had such weight to it at the time. And, and I forgot how long this fight took to, to clear too. It was a long oh, time. It was a long time. Yeah. I could look it up, but trust me, it w- if it took them, you know, seven weeks to get down the four horsemen, yeah, my guild never finished him. Like we we didn't we were like stuck on Saffron. Saffron was a nightmare, so we didn't finish him. It was uh, we went back in in Burning Crusade to finish this raid. That's a lot. And, a lot of people did because almost yeah. it was it had it such a low clear. Like we talk about like people clearing raids now so quickly. In context, Nax Ramus had one of the lowest experience in clear rates of any raid that has ever existed. It was partially why they brought it back in Wrath of the Lich King, because players could never got to really fully experience it unless you were the cream of the crop. Back in my day on my server, when I was on Zul'jin, on the Alliance side, there were three guilds, only three guilds, that had stepped foot into it, and only two of those three made it to Kalthazad. Like, it was insane. How but difficult also, this was. To, there's other things to talk about quickly, though, because, I mean, we do it. We are getting low on time here. But first off, the first thing to, to bring up is when you get into the Kel'Suzad chamber, you hear something that you had never heard before in, in World of Warcraft history. You heard the Lich King. Mm-hmm. Because the Lich King was directly talking to him. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. And you also get to see the first scenes of, of Northrend you're ever going to see. Because there were plat- there were portals inside the uh, raid itself that had that led to Ice Crown's glacier. Because the Crypt Lords are sent through 
into the fight, the Guardians of Ice Crown. So that's that's a huge. Secondly is when you beat Kel'Thuzad, he drops his phylactery because he's a lich. You take the phylactery and it has it starts a quest. And that quest has some of the best quest text that's ever going to happen in World of Warcraft. Ever. Because it's like, hmm, you've defeated Kel'Thuzad, and now his phylactery, you know, the inner voice of reason within you tells you you must destroy it now, else the Lich might be recreated. Fortunately, you seldom listen to that inner voice of, re- of reason. This thing, <laughs> you'll get a lot of money for this thing. <laughs> and so you take it to, you take it back to the, uh, to the Argent Dawn base in Taupe, and one of the Scarlet Crusade, uh, emissaries a priest um i can't remember his name but it's it's a reference uh father montoy yeah um ingo montoy ingo uh, montoy yeah yeah well and that's the take, reference yeah he takes the uh the phylactery and gives you a bunch of gold for it and i think a tra- I think you got like a trinket or something that was you got something cool for it but this sets up wrath of the lich king because kelthasad's back because you gave it to a guy who immediately uses it to recreate Kel'Thuzad because he wants to be a lich himself. Mm-hmm. And Kel'Thuzad turns the guy into a lich because he's Kel'Thuzad's son. Yep. yep, 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 yep. <laughs> and it's just one of the best... The, 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 thing, the quest text is literally telling you, you should just destroy this, but you're not going to because we want him around. And it is just... It is just this moment. It's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. It, it's It's... It focuses on the thing that I think it's been an issue after, since its inception, that the players are the cause of and solution to all of Azeroth's yeah, problems. Yeah, it's, it's the first time that they mention it. I think the last time they really, like, very on-the-cheek mention it. But, like, yeah, it's it's right there. It's on the note. And it is one of my favorite parts of that entire expansion is just that moment. It's just, you know, you should destroy this, but luckily you won't because, man, there's some gold here. This is going to at the time, I believe the gold reward was something like enough to buy an epic mount. Yeah. No, right. no, no. It was it was not an epic mount. It was enough to buy like a regular mount. Yeah. It was, and keep in mind, it, it, that took a lot of doing back then. It was it was a big chunk of change for a level 60 character. It was like, oh, my God, I can't. You know, nobody was refusing this thing. So, yeah, it was still to my day one of the favorite moments in a room. All that to say that. Naxxramas as an experience, at least in the original incarnation, really did drive home the enormity of what we were dealing with as players. And we talk a lot about like the cosmic scale of things, the grand scale of things, how often we're, we're in the middle of it. This is the first time that you really started to feel that sort of pressure. I guess would be the best way to put it. Like everything we've been dealing with was, yes, they had been big. They had been important. They were showstoppers in their own right, but they weren't this. They weren't something that, that traveled worlds because the Lich King traveled worlds, traveled, transcended existence. It called upon the old gods. It called upon the necromantic magic, called upon the lore of the human society. It called on every aspect of the game and world that we had been experiencing, not just here, but also throughout all the Warcraft games in a way that while the other ones did to a certain extent, blew them out of the water. The enormity of this raid really set the stage for everything that was going to come after it. And the fact that so few players got to experience it at level is a shame, but also speaks to, well, yeah, that kind of makes sense with how how big and important this is, because at the time, the best of the best were the only ones that got to go to experience and fight against the best of the best of the Lich King. And that sort of trend goes throughout everything else. Look at all the other raids that come after it and how much of it owes that sort of DNA to these encounters, to everything that is experienced or, or, or popped up as a raid throughout World of Warcraft and the original the original game time and how much of that really draws from that enormity of Naxxramas. You know, we talk about these world-ending events. Naxxramas was that world-ending event. We talk about it literally, uh, yeah, literally. This was the end of World of Warcraft, guys. Yeah, you you were done, and you see you in Burning Crusade because this was it. You know, yeah, it's it's a it's a fascinating, important piece of just Warcraft history, and it's one that I think should always be remembered in its original form uh, for what it contributed to it. Um, yeah, if nothing else, I'll tell you right now. I've always been glad that WoW Classic exists, just so the original Nexramus is still out there in some form. Agreed. Even if I, I'm never going to go see it, but it's there. And uh, I really, there, 
if I could sit here and talk to you like for another ten minutes, I'd go on and on about how this expansion, this this raid, and they set up the, the entire expansion. This raid basically is everything that Wrath of the Lich King came from. It 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 in one raid, it tells you this is what the scourge is now. This is what's coming. It isn't gonna just be a bunch of wagons full of meat and you know people with cleavers. It's gonna be all of this. You're gonna face all of this, and that's you know it does an amazing job of telling you you know this is what we're we're dealing with. This is step by step. These these encounters all show you another facet to the to the scourge under Arthas what it's like under the new Lich King, what he has turned it into. And it sets up that threat. It sets up that threat multiple Mm -hmm. expansions before it ever happens. Yeah. It really is some astonishing storytelling as a raid. It is one of those experiences that the very, like, you you see so many comebacks to it, and it's fascinating. Like, the Death Knight starting area, the, the actual Wrath itself, the Scarlet Crusade stuff, it all comes back. So, yeah. Uh, really one of the better raids in terms of storytelling as uh, through encounters that they ever made. And, and man, we didn't even get to talk about what happens if you get the corrupted Ashbringer and then you take it to Scarlet Monastery. That's coming up later. We can't talk about that. Now, no, we're going to be, cool. we're going to have something planned later on folks where we're going to be talking about a lot of the key items and the storytelling that exists with those key items. Uh, call them legendaries, even though some of them might not be classified as legendaries. Uh, but we have something planned for that and we are going to get to that at some point. Um, so we will talk about the Corrupted Ashbringer. We will talk about the effects of it in-game. Uh, we'll talk about the rest of those. But for now, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Um, again, I do want to thank you very much for joining us, and thank you very much to our Patreons who supported, Patreon supporters who suggested that we do this as a series of uh, episodes hopefully you are enjoying them as much as we are doing them uh, if you do have questions though that you do want us to answer be sure to go ahead and send those into podcast at blizzardwatch.com you can also send them into our discord channel we have one set aside for our patreon and supporters we then have one set aside for folks that can't support us on patreon uh, for q and podcast questions be sure to send those in and uh, when we run out of things here we'll be sure to, to start pulling from those um, also don't forget that we are available on uh, spotify now as well and if there is any place that you're listening to us that allows you to uh, give a review, consider doing it. It helps, believe it or not. Uh, and thank you for your continued support. But with that, we'll see you next week. 